Chris. Welcome to Speaking Destroy, episode 101. Speaking Destroy is the first podcast featuring interviews about Metallica, and I am your host, Ryan J. Downey. My guest this episode is Christina Scabia of Lacuna Coil. I know I say this a lot because I've been blessed to have a lot of great conversations through the course of doing this podcast now for over 100 episodes, but this was one of my absolute favorite conversations. In my 20 plus years of being a music journalist, working as an artist manager and various other roles in the quote unquote biz, she's actually someone that I had never spoken to before. I saw Lacuna Coil for the first time in 2004 on Ozfest. I was there in my role as manager for Throwdown and at the time the band Bleeding Through, who also returned in 2006, which uh, Lacuna Coil was on both of those years as well, 2004 and 2006. We have a lot of mutual friends, uh, including their former manager, a uh, bunch of the staff, and uh, the old ownership at Century Media. But uh, we'd never spoken, and I've always been a fan and admirer. She is massively talented, super charismatic, as you will hear in this conversation, very charming, insightful. Uh, it was just a really, really great chat that uh, went in a lot of different directions, but of course, with a focus on Metallica. Now, if you were not familiar, the reason why I invited Christina to come onto the podcast is because she has said in interviews before that the Black Album was actually the first like heavy record that she heard and the thing that got her into this style of music. About 10 years ago, at a uh, charity concert in Europe, she actually sang Nothing Else Matters with a uh, cover band. It was like a whole tribute night uh, with a bunch of vocals from a, a bunch of different bands. You can find that on YouTube. But uh, yeah, she was backed by a little orchestra. So we talk about that. We talk about the origins of Lacuna Coil and get into a rather fascinating discussion about the relationship of bands and their audience, particularly bands who evolve and change over the years, like Lacuna Coil, like Paradise Lost, like Typo Negative, and like Metallica. Remember, the best way to support this podcast is to go into Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform of choice, leave a five-star rating, write a nice little review. Those really do help. You can also support the show on Patreon, where you get access to exclusive bonus episodes called From My Interview Archives with Metallica-adjacent folks like Glenn Danzig, Randy Blythe from Lamb of God, and not one but two interviews with Kirk the Ripper Von Hammett. You can follow Speaking Destroy on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find me on Twitter at Ryan Downey and on Instagram at Superhero HQ. Speaking Destroy is part of the Pop Curse Podcast Network. So here it is, my conversation with Christina Scabia of Lacuna Coil. This is Speak and Destroy. <laughs> goes by so quickly it, it's i guess it's probably been like 10 years ago but I, I remember you did a christmas show with an orchestra where you sang nothing else matters yeah um, it was a long time ago I, ca I can't remember the year but but yeah yeah but so yeah. um yeah so you just seemed like a perfect guest to uh to have on so thank you it was my idea <laughs> <laughs> it awesome. was my idea Yes, uh, because I mean, I, I can genuinely say that Metallica was the very first metal band that I've ever heard. Yeah, ever, yeah. ever when I wasn't even remotely close to become a singer in the band or meeting the other members of Lacuna Coil from the first lineup. Wow. I remember that I, 
I was still living with my parents. And I remember that I was just like meeting up, you know, with the same group of friends every day. And one day, one of them just brought, you know, a cassette player. And it was just like, oh, you got to listen to this. And just played some Metallica for me. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> because I mean, I, I grew up in a family with two brothers and a sister uh, that listened to a lot of music, but not metal music. The heaviest thing was a record from ACDC, but the rest was all Pink Floyd, Beatles, uh, the Genesis. I mean, I'm not complaining at all. Yeah, I was going to say great stuff. <laughs> of course, but, yeah. it was great stuff. It was great stuff, you know, electronic music from the 80s, some some rap, hip hop, everything, uh, but metal, surprisingly. I don't know. I don't know why. Uh, so when I heard, you know, this music coming from this cassette, I was just like, I was very impressed because it was something that I've never heard before in my world. Um, so I started asking questions. I was like, what is this? What is that? You know, of course, I, I mainly loved, you know, the mellower songs back then because I was still kind of like attracted, tempted, but still not quite ready, maybe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then I kept, you know, the name of this band in, in the back of my mind that I was just like, hmm, hmm, they might come back later. <laughs> uh, so I, let's say, improved my knowledge in metal uh, in, I think it was 1993. So I was not like super young, you know, it's something that I discovered later because I started to hang out in um in a metal pub in Milano that is not existing anymore called uh, Midnight Pub. And that's where actually I, I met the guys of Lacuna Coil, at least Andrea and, and Marco and the guys from the previous lineup. Mm -hmm. And they were playing metal music. So whole universe opened up for me. And the same friend who actually made me listen to Metallica brought me to this pub. So I had the chance, you know, to listen to stuff that what was probably close to my taste as a transition. Yeah. So I fell in love, you know, with Typo Negative, with Paradise Lost, you know, bands that had melodies into it. And I gradually went into something heavier, falling in love with it and understanding more about this music that was sounding, you know, different from the music that I'd listened to. I'm glad you mentioned Typo and Paradise Lost because uh, when I was making some notes last night, I, I came across an article uh, I think it was with Metal Hammer where they had asked you uh, to name 10 albums that had changed your life and uh, the Black Album was on there, but also uh, Metallica is my favorite band of all time. Typo Negative is my second favorite band of all time. <laughs> and, I, think it's, I think it's my favorite. Well, I, it's not that I have a favorite band, but yeah. definitely they are a band that massively, massively influenced Lacuna Coil, not only uh, with their music at first, but then we had the chance, you know, to meet the guys. And I think it's magical when you meet your idols and they're even better than you're expecting. Because mm. you know how it is, you know, sometimes you're afraid to to meet someone you admire because you're afraid that they're going to be assholes. They're going to be, you know, too full of themselves. And they will make you go like, oh, why did I even, you know, support <laughs> this person? You know, it might be the greatest musician of all time, but what an asshole. And, you know, just knowing them and meeting them increased my respect um, towards the band. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah I love um, October Rust. I mean, I love every typo record. Um, Paradise Lost also. And it's interesting you mentioned them in terms of that uh, gateway, as you say, in that transition with melody and heaviness, because Paradise Lost, you know, Draconian Times, I think, is a very, it's almost like a cousin to the Black Album. Yeah, but then I you love have... Draconian Times. I think it's my favorite one. Mm. I think it's probably my favorite uh, record from them. And, and yeah, you know, sometimes you need like a song that kind of brings you in, in that vibe that maybe you would have never go through. You know, yeah. probably I needed to listen to something more mellow and melodic, which was still super dark. So mm -hmm. I still... I still consider it metal because I mean, for me, metal is a lot more than just like noise and chaos. I mean, for me, it's way more complex, you know, it's just not just a, 
just a lifestyle like rock and roll metal pretty much you know the same thing but metal it's it's more deep if rock and roll it's more fun i think that metal goes way deeper you know into the roots of 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 your own psychology sometimes you know it make you just like you know bang your head and just like go crazy at parties but it also makes you think and just like oh wow I felt this thing right into my heart that kind of made me think about something very, very deep. <laughs> at least yeah. that's what does it does to me. No, yeah, you, you've spoken before uh, in interviews I've seen about um, that feeling of transcendence and almost otherworldliness that that music can give, where it's like you you're in another dimension or something when it's yes. when you're performing or when you're hearing it and yeah and I'm very much the same way very immersive and I think that's what I love about bands like Typo and Paradise Lost and My Dying Bride is it, it has that ability to take you somewhere you know like outside of uh, what's happening around you absolutely yeah and I, I similar to you um you know I was into uh, melody and everything first before I discovered metal. Um, I, I loved, you know, and I still do, uh, Depeche Mode and The Cure and The Smiths and Generation X and uh, a lot of those kind of bands were the was the first music that I really loved. So I think it made sense that uh, as I got into metal and then as bands came along like Paradise Lost and then when Paradise Lost had like their Depeche Mode phase, you know, there were some fans that were like, oh, I hate this new Paradise Lost. And I was like, I, I love this phase. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Me too. I am, I am honestly, yeah, on, on, on your side on this. I, I don't like it when, when people are just like criticizing artists that are just like trying something different. For me, the most important thing is the honesty of the artist. Because even if I love uh, an artist's music or style, to me, it would be really contrived to rewrite the same record over and over if you don't really believe in it. You can do something like that. I mean, you can, you know, be, I don't know, ACDC and just like do the same kind of music and people will love it, but they want to know it too. Mm -hmm. If an artist wants to experiment, wants to try something different because they really want to, I think it's something that you should support whatever you don't like the record eh, whatever i mean it was their choice maybe i will get the next record and i will like right. it more but i don't see it as a betrayal towards the fans because if an artist would write exactly what the fans wants it would be a product it would be like okay guys just let me know i'm gonna put a poll out what kind of music do you want what kind how many instruments um how long the songs should should last i mean that would be horrible that would be horrible. That would be something done on commission. And it's like, ah. It's like art. I mean, by... of course, you, you can be free to do something on commission. Like, I don't know, you have to write a, a song over, I don't know, a movie. So you have to follow a specific theme. You have to talk about specific things. But when you're doing your own record, you need to be honest with yourself because you as an artist, you're going to be responsible to bring your music around the world. You will have to believe in what you're singing and playing. And you will always have to be proud throughout the years of what you're putting out. I, I could never think of myself as just like playing something that I'm like, Ugh, I hate this song. Why do I have to sing it? Ugh. I could never do something like this. Yeah, and I think that the audience can sense that authenticity and that honesty. And that's what we connect to, you know, when we, when we hear a James Hetfield or a Peter Steele, you know, we, we connect to the raw truth that we know is in there. Yeah. That it's not being, it's not music by committee. It's not uh, designed to be a product. And also, also it is really difficult to reproduce the same vibe that you get from older records mm. because, um, I mean, I am the same. There are some records that I'm absolutely attached to. And if I listen to them right now, I'm like, the production sucked. Uh, <laughs> it, it was not sung very well. Maybe the lyrics were, hey, if you really want to analyze everything. But the vibe of this record is unparalleled. I love it like nothing else because it reminds me of this period of my life. So every time I hear this music, I relieve this part of my life. 
I yes. smell the same smells that I felt back then. I just close my eyes and I think about what I was doing, how I was dressed, the people that I, I was going out with. And you can't reproduce the same thing. If you would do a record that is exactly the same of a record that you did 20 years ago, it would never be the same because time changed. People are changing, luckily, are growing. They have, they might have, you know, a different taste. They they lived a different experiences. So it, it's 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 kind of silly to expect the same thing over and over from an artist, you know. Sometimes when they ask me, like, why don't you do a record like I don't know, in a reverie? Because in a reverie it was written in 1998. <laughs> I can't be the same person I was in 1998. It would be where to wear the same pair of pants for 30 years. You know, there might be, you know, the time that you can't enter anymore in these pants or you want to change them. <laughs> Maybe you still keep these pants, but. Yeah, it, and and, it, and that's what's great about this kind of art, especially with records. And, and you could say the same with filmmakers. Uh, you know, part of what makes that record beautiful is that it was, it's a snapshot of who you were as an artist in 1998. Um, and that's not who you are now, and it shouldn't be. You you need to grow and evolve and change. Um, and the purity of that is still there, like you said, when you want to put on one of those records and be transported back to that time rather than trying to chase recreating that time for its own yes. sake. It, it's like a picture. I mean, you would never manipulate a picture of you 20 years ago. Yeah, you maybe would do it because it's like, I don't know now social medias are fucking <laughs> weird but but you live it there you just look at it and it's just like oh wow that was me 20 years ago but yeah. then you just go on with your life and and thank goodness that, that you have more experience to talk about and things that you can put in your art mm -hmm. and i i think we often overlook that our relationship to certain records movies books has a lot to do with who we were at the time that we encountered it. So you're you're never going to hear Metallica for the first time again. You're never going to hear Lacuna Coil for the first time again. So whatever record was the record in that moment when you discovered them and whatever was happening for you, relationships you were in or whatever, it, that's a time and a place that's so specific that you're sort of unfairly judging artists as the new records come out because of who you were when you got yes. into them you know um i think we forget that and the, the that, that is the we... same reason why you might criticize something because it doesn't yes. encounter your morals or your taste that's the only that's the only reason why you do it because yeah. <laughs> because you're comparing to to who you are and if you think about it maybe the fact that you want an artist to do the same thing over and over it's a sort of a jealousy of mm. the music that you love because you would always want it this way. You would always want it to want to protect it. You don't want to change it. Like uh, I, I don't have kids, but it's like I compare it as having the kids and not wanting this kid to grow up. Yes. To grow yes. and yes. run away from you. <laughs> so it's like, I want to keep it closer. So if it's similar to what I like, I still feel protected and I still feel somehow in control of the artist that I love. Oh, wow. That is so insightful. And that is such a great comparison because yes, with children, you, you want, there's the part of you that's like, oh, I want them to stay four years old and snuggly and this and that. But, but you also don't want to rob them of the exactly, experience of being exactly. a teenager and an adult and whatever. Yeah. And that's gosh, Keep free, that's but so, not so too much. much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> exactly. <come> back, please. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it reminds me, you know, in the nineties, some of my metalhead friends, when Metallica cut their hair and that was controversial. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I remember saying to my friends at the time who were complaining about it, we cut our hair. You know, these were, these were my friends who all had long hair in high school and whatever and whatever. And <laughs> they didn't have long hair now. And they were complaining, oh, Metallica cut their hair. And it's like, yeah, you want them to stay frozen in time, but exactly, you, you're allowed to grow <laughs> and change in life. <laughs> so yeah, I think it's, because we want to protect our memories i think it is i think that's the reason why yeah yeah and and in doing so man like you said like with the, with children you're if you were if you were able to freeze them in time for as great as that is what about everything that you're missing that would have come later had you 
allowed it to progress yes. the way that it should. Yeah, and um, also, yeah. also, I think, I mean, it's cool to think that you will always have a surprise because you still have these records that you love. Mm -hmm. So they're there. Nobody's going to touch them. Yeah. Nobody is going to take them away from you or your memories or the love that you feel for them. You know, there is always something new that you can discover, like a, like a, like a new travel. You might discover something that you like. You might discover other bands connected that you like and it just like uh, expand your yeah. musical taste. So there is nothing bad about it. No, and that's the, I mean, we're, we're only, we're here for such a short period of time on this earth, <laughs> you know, to be let, to limit ourselves to the first few things that we love. That's um, true, but we always do it. <laughs> <laughs> but we do it anyway. But we true. do it all the time. We do it all the time. It's a classic. That's a yeah. classic. Um, so you mentioned your siblings and uh, a lot of great music that was around. Um, were your parents musical? Were, were they listening to stuff? Or uh, My mom wasn't. My mom uh, couldn't even turn on a radio. Like she was uh, not anti-electronic things, but she was not good at it. <laughs> <laughs> my My dad was the opposite. I mean, when he was around... 85 he actually subscribed to a computer course you know to learn how to use computer and wow. he loved music very very much I mean every day he would take like one hour two hours and you would see him sitting in a couch uh, with headphones on and with eyes closed and just like listening to music he loved U2 very very much he loved the Celtic music but he was listening to a little bit of everything and, and he was it was awesome because sometimes he would ask me like, do you know this band? Well, have you ever heard about this band? Yeah, dad, I know you too. <laughs> I like them. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. It was the sweetest thing. Yeah. My, yeah. My parents were reversed or my mother was, was very into music and played a lot of music around the house and Johnny Cash and Dolly Parton. And, uh, and, and my dad has just never been, you know, I, yeah, he's just, he's never had a record collection. He's never had CDs. There was one time where my brother and I were riding in the car with him as adults and he was listening to a CD in the car, which was already weird, but it was like Muzak uh, elevator versions of Beatles songs. And we were like, dad, what are you listening to? And he was like, oh, my, my friend at work uh, burned this CD for me. I, I really like it. I like driving and listening to it. And my brother and I were like, you know, these are Beatles songs, right? <laughs> he had no idea. <laughs> he had no idea. My mom didn't listen to music, but she was a great singer, though. Sometimes, mm. you know, when she was ironing or doing stuff, she would sing in a very classical way. A woman could sing, like with a lot of vibratos at the end, just like, oh, but she yeah. was great. I was like, wow. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so that first bit of Metallica that you heard, uh, at, at what point, and maybe it wasn't Metallica, you know, but at what point did you sort of reach that turning point where music went from something that you absolutely loved to something that you knew you needed to participate in? You know, uh, you, you uh, need to create, you want to perform, you want to be actively, actively with Lacuna Coil. Before Lacuna Coil, I basically life always brought me into the singing thing, whether I liked it or not, even though I just wanted, I didn't, didn't want to be in the spot mm. uh, because I love to sing. I remember that I was just like going out, you know, in dance clubs with, uh, with my brothers that were playing mainly dance music, you know, just like regular clubs. And my DJ friends would make me sing some, some of the songs or over the songs. And I remember that I was always hiding because I love to sing, but I didn't want anybody to see me or see who was singing. So it was like for my pure pleasure and, you know, my friends, because they liked my voice. So they started asking me to uh, record some stuff for them. So I would stay in a room, let's say for, I don't know, an hour, just like singing over some loops. And then they would take the parts and they would just like, juggle them however they wanted to and they were just like making records out of them but I didn't want to appear because I 
I just felt that it wasn't the right music for me. I mean, I liked dance music, but I didn't want to give my image or my name. Mm. I just didn't want to be that involved for some reason. I remember we went to a convention as well. It was a dance music convention. And I just didn't didn't feel it. <laughs> I just didn't feel it. I just came back home and I was just like, mm. and after a couple of months, probably not months, probably was like a few years after I, I met the guys in Lacuna Coil and I found out that I that I wanted to be there. I just wanted to do something with them, that I wanted to create a project with them. It was more exciting. I knew them. They were friends. So it's just like, okay, let, let's try this. I remember I was super, super shy in the beginning. Very first concerts, I was like hiding myself, you know, behind the, micro, the, the microphone <laughs> like this. Because I just wanted to sing, but I didn't, I wasn't the, the type of person and probably I still am that is like, hey, look at me. Yeah, I'm the most gorgeous, most intelligent, smartest <laughs> lady in the room. I am, I never really felt the need, you know, to, to put all the lights around me. And, uh, and with them, I learned a lot because obviously I changed a lot, even on, on a stage, on the recording, my voice um, and song, songwriting skills, if you can call them so, uh, improved. I changed as a person. And it's because I am with my second family, basically. Yeah, that's beautiful. And what do you think helped? Uh, do you remember kind of a turning point going from wanting to sort of hide on stage and be behind the mic stand and maybe put your hair in your face? Mm -hmm. Do you remember kind of when you noticed like, oh, wait, I'm more comfortable here now? Not a very specific uh, point. But I remember that once I hit myself with a microphone stand that it just like turned as soon as I was doing it, banging, and then I cut my face open mm. here, like so started to bleed. And I was just like, eh, maybe no more uh, mic stands. And, and then we started, uh, you know, with wireless whenever possible. And that's where I slowly started to uncover myself to to the crowd and just like being more comfortable. I still yeah. feel that I want this barrier in front of me because I, I really wish, you know, that I could just like be in my own cloud and see everybody so everybody can see me too. But just like, you know, let me do my thing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sometimes I feel that, but then I like the interaction too. So it's like, <sighs> but I think it's something that I've learned through time. I wasn't, I wasn't like that back then i know that a lot of artists are just like yeah i always dreamt about you know being a rock star nope yeah and i, I feel like me. i feel like that uh juxtaposition uh, i mean it certainly works in your favor it works in the favor of a lot of artists where the the art of it it's not to disparage anybody who had that yearning and that need to be famous and be seen but uh, when your yearning and your need was to connect to the music and make the music and put that out there and the rest of it is sort of secondary. I think that that's better for the art at the end of the day. I think you know. that every, every person has a different style because I mean, there are things that you can't really do on commands and personality is one of those things. <laughs> you have your own personality so you can try to be, you know, the, the most, uh, I don't know, uh, egocentric um, singer on stage but if you're not an egocentric in, in, in real life it's going to be really hard because it's mm. yeah you can fake somehow you know that you're super confident but then I think that it will be very evident that you're that you're not and or the other way around I mean I, I think that a live show it's so raw that in the end your personality comes out for who you mm. Or who you really are sooner or later i, I find that my favorite lead singers uh, that there's a a mix of this uh, hyper confidence and self-assurance and vulnerability and insecurity that it's like both the duality uh, and, and a lot of you singers you great singers is heightened both you know because it takes I, and a lot I'm of glad. I'm glad that you said that because a lot of people, I think, mistakes 
and misunderstands what vulnerability is. So they take it as something negative. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're just like, oh, if this person is vulnerable or insecure, then can't be on a stage and can't be a good lead singer or a guitar player or whatever. But charisma is not just made about, uh, is not made of self-confidence. It's something that goes behind everything, you know, yes. is just the aura of this person. And the aura of a person is made by so many different things. I can, I can think, I don't know. Um, I don't know. Uh, the singer of Red Hot Chili Peppers, super egocentric. It's, and it's charismatic at, on its own. Uh, the singer of Radiohead, to me, is the same level of charismatic. But if you mm-hmm. put them on a mirror, they are like completely different. Yeah. So I think a lot of people mistakes vulner- vulnerability and just like maybe misanthropy sometimes yeah yeah as as something against um not being a rock star but against the self-confidence because the fact that you're insecure sometimes it doesn't really mean that you're not self-confident maybe it's just the wrong approach (laughs) yeah (laughs) or maybe you can be in in different situation and not all the times and oftentimes people mistake one for the other as well because i think of you know, Fiona Apple, Morrissey, uh, you know, they're very self-assured and very in touch with who they are, but express so much vulnerability and insecurity in their music. Or, or Peter Steele, you know, he's this like, you know, nine foot tall, statuesque, uh, <laughs> you know, sexy, cool, philosophical, deep. Um, and so much of that music is self-effacing, and self-doubt and self-loathing and uh, these very real, yeah, vulnerabilities, as you say. Or James Hetfield, where he, he can stand in front of a crowd of tens of thousands of people and command that whole audience. But then offstage, he's very shy and withdrawn. And, uh, you know, and people interpret that sometimes as like, oh, this guy's intimidating. <laughs> and it's like, no, he's nervous, sir. <laughs> you know, he's, uh, um, and I think all of that, yeah, you, you put it so well, it's charisma. And, and that charisma can come from not just a place of, uh, oh, this person's so beautiful or this person's so talented, but from all sorts of areas. And Yes, I, and, and yeah. the perception of people can change so fast. Mm. That's what I've noticed, especially now with social medias. If you want, you can really change the perception of people in such a short time. And, you know, sometimes there is, there is also the risk of manipulating people, mm. tastes, which I think it's probably part of the game. Yeah. But I noticed that. I mean, you can appear like the most um, self-centered person in the world while you're not. You can appear like super strong and maybe you are the more, the more insecure person in the world. And, the, and people's perception is important in the music business. I'm not saying that that is important in life, but if you look at the, the marketing point of view, mm-hmm. <laughs> the perception from the outside, it's what gives you the aura that you might not have. So yeah. it's kind of crazy. It's, yeah, it's a little bit of magic in that sense <laughs> when, it, yeah, when it done is, correctly. It is. Yeah. Just, just to give you a, a very, very, very stupid example that is not even related to music. Um, I'm very active on socials because I like to, you know, keep in touch with our fans to keep them informed in what we do. I never do anything too private, but I like to let them enter, you know, in my in my life, what I do every day. Uh, the the non rock star musical tour things more, you know, on on a personal level. And during the lockdown, I I started to work out a bit. But just like, you know, regular workout that you would do on your own. It's just like, okay, I'm going to do a little bit of exercises at home. And I started to play video games more because, I mean, I stopped it when we started to tour. I didn't really play, but I love video games. I love the whole uh, nerd world, as you can 
somehow. <laughs> I, 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 I see Gizmo back there. I see. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh yeah, with the with the face of the the kid of Fallout, <laughs> the video game. Yes, it's, there, there is a there is Gizmo and there's Gizmo and there's uh, Stripe back there. Is that Stripe? Exactly, the, the big yeah. Stripe back there. <laughs> uh, so I remember that. Two, three months after I did an interview with um, with an UK magazine that wanted to know how the lockdown was doing, what I was doing, blah, blah, blah. And one of the first questions that, that he that he made was just like, so um, we have heard that you are um, a pro gamer and an expert of fitness, a fitness <laughs> expert. And I was just like, what? <laughs> what and what? And they were, they were like, yeah, because I mean, we see a lot of pictures that you're working out and yeah, but I'm not a pro. I'm not a fitness expert. I'm not a pro gamer. I like video games. I love video games. I'm playing video games. I exercise every day just to keep in shape or eat more according to how you want to see it. But just to tell you the perception, I mean, if I wanted to, and it's because I don't want to, but if I wanted to, I would publish specific pictures that would completely change the view of the world on me if i would uh, only post i don't know um super elaborated pictures as a diva i would turn into a diva in a few months mm. because people forget very easily on medias and sees you as who you are at the moment they never scroll back too much and they tend to for everything is so fast right now. Everything is just like, I don't know the term in, in English. In Italian will be phagocytated. I don't know if it's existing, <laughs> but eat, eat, eaten very fast. So th this is another crazy thing, you know, how you can yeah. change the perception. And I think we forget that we're only seeing a very limited in anyone's lives via social media even oh. even those who seem like they are putting every single thing no out no there. we we see nothing yeah. we see nothing because i mean it's pretty clear that everybody posts you know the the best parts yeah yeah the best parts or the normal parts but it's really really difficult you know to see the very low ones and whenever yeah, i yeah. see them it always looks like they are almost done on purpose to get somewhere else and a lot of times when you see selfies, you wonder how many, how many pictures exactly like that one are in that person's camera roll. Oh, you, yeah, usually it's a lot. Usually it's yeah. a lot. Yeah, I'm guilty of it too. We're all we all, we're all guilty. We do. You know? I'm, I'm yeah. saying the same thing, but I mean. Yeah. It's... Oh, as soon as I it found out uh, when we, you know, when we started uh, being a journalist and uh, you know communicating so much over Zoom uh, since the pandemic started as soon as i realized that there is an option to put this slight filter on <laughs> i've had it on ever since <laughs> you know it's like let's just you know small amount of vanity but Why i think not? the Why important not? thing is to realize that that uh all those tricks that you're doing yourself uh, everyone else is doing them too you know because that's yes. the problem is we compare ourselves to everything yeah. that we're i seeing. don't think there isn't anything wrong with vanity I mean, the, the real problem to me is when people don't realize when real life starts. That yes. is the problem, because if you want to put a filter and you feel prettier, it's OK. But then if you get frustrated because in real life, you're not looking like this <laughs> and you're going to you're never going to look like this because. Yeah. In real life, you have pores, you have a real face. Yeah. That's where the problem starts. But I don't think the problem itself is the filter. Yeah. And, and people and all the as a as a guy, something, you know, that you'd always hear of this like exercise ideal. People would always say like Brad Pitt and Fight Club. I want to look like Brad Pitt and Fight Club. And it's like, yeah, but you don't realize that Brad Pitt doesn't even look like Brad Pitt and Fight Club. <laughs> you know, he looked like that on set for a couple of days by the right amount of water that he drank or didn't drink. And that he, you know what I mean? It's like you don't exactly. no one's no one's like that at all constantly um, yeah. nor should they be nor should they have to be you know um True. and it's like and it's great to have that movie and to have someone you know achieve that but it's important for us all to remember when we're comparing everything that like yeah like you said that's it's just a, a it's a, to go back with real life the that's the real problem yeah indeed um so <laughs> this is the 
30th anniversary of the Black Album this year, which is absolutely crazy to me. Um, especially, you know, I'm one of those, I just talked to a friend of mine who's actually a few years younger than I am, who yesterday was still referring to the Black Album as the new stuff. <laughs> it's the, the later Metallica, you know. Um, have you been following the some of the stuff that they've been announcing and like some of the cover songs? Uh... No, to be honest, to be honest, uh, not really, not really, because now we're focusing on our record as well. Mm. And I I don't really follow what other bands are doing. I mean, I follow my friends that I just like follow on Instagram. So sometimes they appear, but I don't really spy into into other bands life to to be honest with you yeah it's probably better that way when you are in record making mode especially because then you're not too influenced by uh, everything that's yeah, around we never really were influenced just because i mean we like music in general we we are very um attentive to what we hear even if they're not bands we like for example a lot um soundtracks we like soundtracks very much, whether they are from movies or video games. Sometimes I just like, you know, Spotify to, okay, let's put the soundtrack off. Mm, I'm going to put this one just to enter in that mood. I like that. Uh, you know, and obviously that's music that is very cinematic. Um, I, I want to talk about that performance with the orchestra. I think it was 2009, the Christmas show, but it was, um, you know, uh, the singer from Sabaton was there. Um, Udo from Accept and Udo yes. was was there. Did Fast as a Shark, I think. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's a sort of a um, like an old band with the, with different musicians, and they always have different guests. Yeah, and the, it, it has been a while, but they were doing it, you know, under Christmas. And we, I did it. Um, I did it a couple of times with them. I remember the last time it was super snowy. It snowed so much that some people couldn't even make it to the show because it wasn't possible to to move. Mm. Uh, so there was a thirty piece orchestra there. Is that right? I don't remember how many, but it was big. a full orchestra. <laughs> yeah, big yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, was that your first time uh, singing with a big with a big yes. orchestra like that? Yes, it was. It, it was. Um, it was my first time. It was. Uh, it is always different when you're not playing with your own band because, you know, the old vibe changes. Uh, I remember that it was a little bit weird because um, it wasn't really in my key, but mm. I wanted to keep the key of the song because I wanted everybody to, to sing it and I'll just like do it because I could do it better with my voice. I didn't really care about that. And it's a song that I always loved. Yeah. And yeah, it was one of the first songs that I've heard of Metallica. I love that that song is such a gateway too, because the you know the origin story of that song, uh, it was something that was very personal for James Hetfield that wasn't necessarily intended to even be a Metallica song, and that you know is sort of a, a minor miracle that it made it onto an album and then it becomes you know, it's one of their two or three biggest songs of uh, their yeah. career. Yeah. Yes. Well, well often, if, you, if you think about it, it's like oh, this this can be a metal song. Yeah if you're not into metal. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, it's so funny, they did away with this now, uh, but I was just talking about this with somebody yesterday. I used to be part of the uh, Grammy Award uh, Metal Screening Committee, where it was like, they would rotate us out every couple of years, but it's about a dozen people who work in the music business who know about metal or whatever. And we would take the hundreds of songs that were submitted for the metal Grammy that year and go through them to determine if they were metal. And then once it passed through us, it went to the next category, to the next committee of people who chose the nominees. But, you know, a lot of them, we had a list and you could look at the list and go, Cannibal Corpse. Okay, yeah, that's, it's in the right category. This doesn't need to move <laughs> the pop or rock or whatever. But oftentimes those meetings would take all day and they would send an intern with a little stereo setup because we would have to listen to things sometimes like, maybe no one's familiar with the band or, or whatever but where the arguments really happened and there were lots of arguments you know I argued with someone who, who you know and she's awesome she's an executive at Live Nation she definitely knows her shit but I found myself one time arguing with a, this friend of, over an Iron Maiden song because she was saying it wasn't metal 
uh, because it was like some kind of ballad or something. It had been submitted for metal. Yeah. And I'm just going like, but it's Iron Maiden. You know, it doesn't, yeah. It, it could be like reggae or country, but it, it's, if it's Steve Harrison, Bruce Dickinson, it's, you know, this goes in the metal category. And those are the arguments that would happen, you know. Um, yeah, Iron Maiden definitely goes <laughs> to the metal yeah. category. Yeah, it's very subjective. And that's how you end up with, you know, one year at the Grammys, uh, you have Slipknot nominated in the hard rock category and nominated in the metal category. And it's like, well, you know. <laughs> it <laughs> it, it is so it hard. Yeah. It is so hard, especially in the States. I always had the feeling that under the world rock, there is a lot of things. Mm -hmm. In Europe, it's different because there are so many subcategories that if you are black metal, you're not a heavy metal, you're not epic right. metal, you're not a, another category. Yeah. Like in, in the States, it's a oh, rock. Well, I, but I like this, I like this. I hate yeah. to give names to, to music, because it's like, why? <laughs> yeah, and no one's ever, I mean, with few exceptions, of course you have like, you know, true black metal and stuff like that. But <laughs> as a journalist, I can say, having interviewed so many musicians for the last 20 years or whatever, no one likes the category they're in anyway. <laughs> you know, like you always, every band is like anxious to break out of the, uh, however they're perceived, you know. Um, if, if you talk to the guys from AFI and you say goth punk, it's like an, it's like anathema. To, it's the worst thing that, you know, don't call I, I us get that, it. You know? I get and, it. I and, mean, and, yeah. we've, we've always been considered gothic metal and it's just like, we are not gothic metal. I mean, right. when I think about <laughs> gothic, I think about bands like Lacrimosa. We are not gothic. I don't know. We, I, I don't even know how to describe ourselves, but gothic metal, I got to the point that I'm like, yeah, whatever. Okay, it's okay. Gothic metal, okay. And you that know, happens like darkness, too. Darkness, so I like yeah. bats, whatever. Okay. <laughs> I'm that fine that with happens it. too, the, the surrender to the subgenre. Yeah. Yes. It, it, yeah, I remember uh, once upon a time I was doing a cover story on Dashboard Confessional. And this was like at the height of Dashboard's popularity. And I was told uh, by his camp before the interview, don't say the word emo. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, yeah, but you're like the king of emo, you know, but I understand Ooh. that in, in his mind, he's like, I don't want to be that thing that everyone calls me. And and now, you know, fast forward in, in 2019, 2020, he, he was playing like emo night shows. <laughs> the, the, the show was called emo night and he put, you know, so there is kind of a, an eventual sort of like, okay, fine, fine. This is uh, it's a sort of a love hate thing yeah. because I mean, I get it that you kind of have to give a name somehow to give a description. Yeah. So. Yeah. And if you're speaking conversationally, you know, if I'm recommending a band to you and I might say, uh, yeah, it's like typo negative. Yeah. That band kind of just, like, you know, yeah. Yeah. Normal, normal. Yeah. Yeah. But when it's your band, and I understand this impulse when it's your band and someone's <laughs> like, oh, how would you describe the band? You want to say, well, we don't really sound like anything else out there. I don't know what to compare us to. <laughs> no, it's, it's just that I really don't yeah. know because I mean, we are not the classic gothic metal bands. Mm -hmm. And I would have no problems to say, yeah, we're a goth band. I mean, I love goth music. I, I have no problem with that. But I don't really think that if you tell to a person who specifically loves gothic metal, if you suggest Lacuna Coil, mm -hmm. they might be disappointed somehow because it's not, you know, kind of like that kind of music. It's also alternative. It's also rock. It's also uh, electronic music. I, I don't know how to describe it because there was so much thing in it. Yeah. And, that, that, and, and that's the greatest bands. And that, that brings us kind of full circle. Like, uh, you know, we were talking about nothing else matters. Um, it's not a traditional metal song by any measure, but it is a Metallica song. And it doesn't, it fits in with every Metallica record, um, despite standing apart, if that makes sense. You know, it's- it's Total, total, yeah. total sense. It's the vibe. Yes, the vibe. It has the, the metal vibe. It doesn't really matter, even yeah. if it's valid. And the charisma, as you said, it has the charisma yeah. and the identity of, of that band and those artists and what the combination of them creates um, totally. well i don't want to be too nosy about uh what you're working on right now but um oh, what, that, what, what can you I say? Can say i can <laughs> say anything just because we're gathering ideas uh marco our bass player is now in the mountains because he wanted to seclude it 
to seclude himself for a while without distraction to write more demos of uh, music, some ideas. Um, Andre and I, as soon as our, we are responsible as singers of lyrics, we're just like brainstorming, you know, we have an idea in mind, we want to talk about a specific thing, but I can say anything because we're way too far from, <laughs> from everything, yeah. from, uh, from even a demo, you know, to, to, to start to discuss. But there will be a new record. We are working on it. Mm -hmm. And I am excited, even if I feel, as many bands, that the previous record was not worked properly. And I'm pretty sad about it because Black Anima was very, very well received, mm -hmm. which is Fantastic surprisingly, album. which is surprisingly after, you know, more than 20 years of a career. That doesn't happen very often. And I love every bit of this record. So I really wished, you know, that, uh, you know, this pandemic wouldn't happen for many reasons. But <laughs> sure. the fact that I just wanted, you know, to continue touring and promote the record is one of them. So, yeah, we will create something new. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask you also, uh, while I've got you before we wrap up, uh, I love that story about, uh, because, you know, one of the, interesting and unique things about Lacuna Coil's history was how quickly uh, you were, uh, you know, there were record labels interested and in how quickly you were with Century Media. And, 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 you know, as opposed to some bands that, you know, maybe toil away for five or 10 years before they can get any kind of interest. But I love that story about you working in the clothing shop and having oh, yeah. The, the, yeah, could you tell me a little bit about that? I know it's- Yeah, sure. sure what was sure. it, was it Robert or Oliver or which? Um, which um, your media person was it? He was uh, okay. Long story short, yeah, ugh, horrible hair. Sorry, I just jumped out of the shower. I didn't even dry my hair. You, you look fantastic. <laughs> if, 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 if this is you, if this is you, horrible, then oh yeah, yeah. This is this is <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. Uh, okay, we met in '93, uh, so we started, you know, to make music more seriously let's say as a as a band in, uh, 90, in 95 96 and in 96 we did the demo tape with two songs that we recorded in a professional studio because back then it was not possible to do it at, at your home you know with a computer yeah because things were very very different so we made this cassette with two songs and we sent it to the labels we were interested in uh basing ourselves on our taste let's say Okay, typo negative. Let's see who produces this record. Let's see oh. who's, the, who's the company, who's the label. So yeah. there were addresses back uh, behind, the, behind the CD or cassettes. <laughs> so we sent uh, different little packages by mail, you know, regular mail with uh, a cassette, a picture taken from uh, uh, the neighbor of our bass player, who was a professional <laughs> photographer, so kind of... So took a picture that was kind of kind of cool. Yeah, uh, a very very short bio because of course we didn't do anything back then. We just like played very 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 few things. So we sent it around, and I was working in the store. Uh, it, it it's it was my brother's store, a clothing store, and uh, we had a, a fax machine. So all the conversation, <laughs> okay. all the conversation was made through a fax machine because of course back then. Phone was very, very expensive. You know, even calling yeah. Germany was like something insane and you would have a bill that was super, super high, which is crazy because it, 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 it seems like I'm talking about prehistoric times, but yeah, I remember. crazy <laughs> 20 years ago. Uh, so one day I get a message on the fax machine um, that says like, we're very interested in your in your material, uh, we would like to hear more. And we got the same message from Century Media and Nuclear Blast. Mm. <laughs> eh. The Germans, so the Germans are after you. <laughs> yeah, the Germans were after us. I remember that some other, um, some other labels weren't interested in us. I think we got rejected by Eurich. Oh. Eurich. Uh, I think yeah. we got a letter saying something like, uh, you're not representing the style that we're looking for right now. <laughs> Bad for you, Eric. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
every label has those stories though too right oh uh, yeah oh we passed on this band we passed on uh, this band yeah <laughs> no of course i'm kidding i i understand <laughs> and um and then basically we had to decide in between Century Media and Nuclear Blast. And what made us decide for Century Media, it's because Oliver came to Milano. Wow. So came to Milano with uh, in the store. So I gathered all the guys in the store. And during the breaks, you know, in between opening, morning, afternoon, we met in the store. And it was a really raw uh, meeting because there were no chairs. There was, That's what there. I was yeah. we were all sitting on the floor, you know, <laughs> including the big boss of Century Media. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> funny, even funnier story. There was also Valerie uh, that was working with Century Media back then, and he is now our manager. Oh so wow! It's yeah. a full-on cycle. Wow. And basically he convinced us to to sign for them and we appreciated the fact that someone would even move from germany would fly yeah. on purpose to meet us all and to listen to uh, what our plans were what we wanted to, to to do with our music we really appreciated it and i mean we've been with Century media since then yeah no, of course, as a, as a, as every relationship, we went through ups and downs, but we always discussed it and we always went through it. And, and I mean, this relationship lasted for quite a long time. <laughs> and I love, you know, Oliver, rest in peace. I, I love that it, yeah. that it was Oliver who, who went to Italy and sat on the floor in the clothing store, because of course, as you get to know Century Media, you discover that Robert is like the outgoing, arty, social, you know, uh, creative guy, and Oliver was yeah, much the more the, the business Oliver kind of, you know, the, yeah, hard and you know, ruffles feathers sometimes and whatever. And yeah. so it, it makes that story even so much more special to to that imagine that it's, it's him sitting down on the floor with you guys, going, like, "I love your band." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, we we really appreciated that because it made us feel. I mean, can you imagine like a band from Milan, Italy? I mean. Italy is not known for having. No, it's known for Lacuna Coil. It doesn't have a rock and roll background. So yeah. for us, it was already a miracle that someone got interested in our music. And uh, then we've been told that we were the very first band that was signed uh, that they didn't know, that it wasn't mm. in their circle of friends. So we have also been very lucky because someone noticed us. Someone actually took the cassette listened to it and found some potential as something that that was really uh, naive maybe in a way because of course we were unexperienced we didn't really know uh, how to write songs I guess so basically we put everything we we liked all together and we created two songs from probably and from these songs you can probably write like 20 songs just because we put so many riffs <laughs> right. changes and so many it was like yeah yeah it was a strange cassette that's like every rock drummer when you talk to them 10 years in 15 20 years in they're they're they always talk about how they're certain they just want to serve the song and but when they start out they have to hit every possible drum and every they possible symbol and every part of every song yeah. <laughs> oh i remember that we had conversations for years with one of our ex drummers because he really wanted a huge chimes behind him and like we were like no we're not gonna bring it to world a fucking huge chimes just to hit it once no yeah. uh, <laughs> yeah they all they all come full circle to just be like charlie watts or bill ward after going through their like you know crazy phases um so uh, yeah and i will I, I will say you know at the time of course you didn't have there was no other story from italy for a rock band or a metal band to really compare it to whereas now you've been this fantastic trailblazer where if you're a band in italy now you can say well there's lacuna coil at least we're from the country where lacuna coil is yeah <laughs> they did it <laughs> maybe we can do it too uh so last thing um and take your time because i know i know it's putting you on the spot a little bit uh top five metallica songs <laughs> well nothing is nothing else matters first one for sure um enter sandman one uh, Master of Puppets. You're already much faster than most people. 
because they are the classics. Yeah. You know, I just don't want to, you know, be the one that is going to search for the most intricate. Uh, right. The most uh, obscure B side. No, yeah. no, because I like them. No, I, I probably don't even know the B sides. I mean, well, I'm not that expert. And. Uh... Oh, there is another one that I like a lot, but I don't remember the title. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Do you remember which record it's on? No. Probably the Black Album. Uh, am I missing one? Yes, just one. Mm. You got Nothing Else Matters, Inner Sandman, One, and Master of Puppets. There is another one that I love that it's still like a mellow song, kind of. Unforgiven? Matters. Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> we did it thank you thank you <laughs> we did it thank you and that was another one of the songs that uh together with uh nothing else matters that i was just like oh okay i like this one the very yeah, first time yeah. that i listened to them a gateway for sure and still very oh, dark oh, and still well, very yeah uh, yeah one of my favorite that might be my favorite uh kirk hammett solo is in that song one of the best one of the best solos Forgiven. the the ending the never ending yeah. ending the never ending ending and then the there's the unforgiven two and the unforgiven <laughs> <Exactly>. three <laughs> the sequels the franchise the under why the not franchise yeah why not why and you not? know it, it also is kind of full circle where you know talking about that idea of you know a song that could have been 20 songs inner sandman is you know coming out of and justice for all where they did these like huge 10 minute epics and every riff in the world and then to open the Black Album with Inner Sandman, which is basically one riff through the whole song. Yeah, <laughs> and it's one of, and it's Kirk's riff. Yeah, it's not even a James riff. Ten uh, minute songs. Can you believe that? There's <laughs> nothing like that anymore. <laughs> no, it's, it's got to be a workout. Uh, I've, been, I've been on stage with them once in Milano. Well, not Milano. It was in Raw, which is like a few minutes from Milano. They played a show, it was a festival, and uh, Fate No More were opening. And I remember that I was so pissed because people booed them. And I love Fate No More, so I was just like, don't do that! I love Metallica, but don't boo Fate No More. Uh, But besides that, there was a friend of mine who was working in the organization. So he was just like, where do you want to see the show um, from? And I was just like, whatever, you know, just like give me, you know, a nice spot to, to watch the concert. And I was like right behind Lars because it was that tour where they put all the people behind them. Yeah, yeah. And I was like right behind him. And I was just like feeling almost <laughs> embarrassed because I was there, you know, with all the fans. And I'm, I'm usually, I, I usually love to watch concerts from far away because I want to see the lights and everything. But the experience was so magical because it was literally like being on stage with them because they were interacting with each other. So everybody would come, you know, to, to us. But I was just like feeling like, uh, I don't know, embarrassed. And I was like, what if I have to pee? I have to stay here three hours. <laughs> but it was great. It was a great experience, but I felt so exposed. <laughs> yeah, and it's one of those situations where you, in the back of your mind, you're waiting for someone to come up and go like, "You don't belong here. You can't stand here." And you know, I felt so. Even so though, even though you know you can, and you and you do. Oh my god! Yeah, the day after, all my friends was, "Oh my god, we saw your picture." And I was like, <laughs> oh, "That's so great." Yeah, and like to the to the faith no more thing, like Metallica, but especially I think Maiden and Slayer sort of notoriously difficult bands to open for for anybody no matter who you are <laughs> you oh with slayer with slayer i remember because we played that was years and years and years and years ago uh we were playing at the same festival and they would call slayer regardless with every band and, and right, I was exactly in, yeah and i yeah. wouldn't understand because it was just like yeah they're coming up <laughs> i mean they're coming if you call them now they're not gonna come up anyway so i didn't really understand that I know you guys love it, but they're going to come up. <laughs> yeah, there's no precedent. It's never once happened that you've yelled for the other band and they've come and pushed the opening band off stage like, and started yes, early. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Slayer are not going to play at nine in the morning because you're like saying Slayer. <laughs> uh, all the Slayer and Maiden fans have always, yeah, hoping that that'll, this is going to be the show. It's finally going to happen. They're going to come out early. Oh. <laughs> That's great. I never, even th- <laughs> I never even thought about that. Like, yeah, it's like, what's the purpose? Like, yeah, they're. 
Yeah, I mean, you're, I mean, you're I mean, here, man. Must, you're at the show. It must be hard because I mean, they're legendary bands, but of course. But but at the same time, I mean, you're still gonna see the band you love. So I never really understood, you know, this aggressiveness towards the opening bands. Yeah, because yeah. it's not that if you if you boo a band, your favorite band is gonna play longer anyway, because they're gonna have their time. And they might also be friends of your favorite band. So so nine times out of ten. It. Yeah, so nine you're times disrespecting the band you you went to see. Yeah, eh, whatever. Part of there the was, package, I guess. That reminds me, there was a great story when Metallica did Lollapalooza in the '90s. Um, it was the same lineup everywhere. When back when it was a touring festival, but um, there were like a dozen bands that rotated as special guests each show so you didn't know which one you were going to get i remember okay. the wu-tang clan was one of them but uh when the show came to indianapolis where i grew up uh the special guest was waylon jennings country artist oh and and james hetfield had picked him personally uh so waylon jennings was playing uh, as the story goes and uh the crowd was booing and not into it and it's the middle of the afternoon and James Hetfield comes walking out on stage oh, oh. and says, "This Shut man, the fuck th up. yeah, this this man's here because I wanted him to oh. be here. Show him some respect." And uh, oh and that, my god, I love and, this! Uh, yeah, I love this. Around. Good job, James. Good job. <laughs> yeah, it's one of my There's favorite respect. Stories. Like if you don't like yeah. a band, you don't need to cheer for this band. You can have a beer. You can eat something. But just like to show this respect, it's it's too much. I never did it with any bands. If I don't like yeah, an artist, yeah. if I, I don't show disrespect, because that's very mature. It's no, no, no. Yeah, Good imagine, imagine job, going man. to like an art gallery and, and like booing a painting. Oh, like. this sucks. Yeah, this artist <laughs> yeah. fucking sucks. You're at the library and you're just throwing books that you don't like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It is crazy uh well christina thank you so so much for doing you're this you're welcome you're welcome it was a great conversation yes thank you I, I i was very much looking forward to it and yeah like i said it felt like it was a long time coming because you've been on the list of people i've always wanted to speak to and never have gotten to so have a good rest of your evening there and um, thank you thanks again thank you very much <laughs>